that talk is about to begin Hey, 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 come on in Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. It is another Market Down Monday, and it is time to make some decisions, some predictions on who is actually going to be in Ohio State's starting lineup on opening day, September 2nd at Indiana. I'm Nathan Baird, along with Stephen Means and Andrew Gillis, who's just getting used to the Market Down Monday magic. But preseason camp started last week. We saw Thursday's practice. We were out there for interviews on Saturday. We heard some intel about how some things may have gone on Friday, though it sounded a lot like it was what we saw on Thursday from the fans who were there uh, gathered around the field who paid their their hard-earned dollars to attend. And for both of you guys, as we go forward, we're predicting the starting lineup for opening day. Was this a much easier exercise to do after going on Thursday than it was before? For me, it was. <laughs> you know, that was the first practice I've ever seen of them. So for me, it was a heck of a lot easier. Um, got to, I mean, look, we, we talked about this with our videos yesterday on, on YouTube. We, we talked about that on the pod. We talked about this with our stories. Like, it was hard to get an idea for some of these positions. I mean, do we have an idea? Yeah. But at running back, there was no rhyme or reason to anybody getting any kind of reps. At, you know, at receiver, they were a little more, I mean, you are like, do, are, are we really going to be surprised about who they're going to start at receiver? No. The, you know, the offensive line was a little bit illuminating. Uh, we talked about Jim Knowles and kind of what he said. So, yeah, yesterday was very helpful. For you guys, it might have been fine. But for me, it was remarkably helpful. I think it just confirms some thoughts I already had, especially since Jim Knowles also came out and just said yes to things about certain starters. So, in years past, I think we've had maybe two or three positions where we were like, okay, we know who the starting lineup is. We know where their starters are. But I feel like coming into fall camp on Thursday, I was pretty confident about all but two position groups who the starter was going to be. And what I saw Thursday kind of just validated that and helped me figure out those other two groups. Did Thursday change your mind about anything? About the starters, about who was starting, no. About where they were starting, yes. Interesting. Well, I think you're probably talking about defense, so let's start on yeah. defense as we start marking down our predicted starting lineup for opening day. I'm going to start up front. Can Kenyatta Jackson steal a starting rush-in job from JT Tumaloa or Jack Sawyer? No. I think that... JT is probably is the most established guy in that room. He might be the second best player on the defense, maybe first, depending on how you feel about um, maybe how you feel about Tommy Eichenberg, Tommy no, th- uh, no thumbs. But I think he's too established to lose his job. And I think that what I saw from Jack Sawyer on Thursday, what I saw back in the spring, and just him being able to focus solely on that, Kenyatta will surely be in the rotation, but I don't think he takes a job from either one of those two third-year guys. Andrew? What did you see from the defensive ends as you were watching practice on Thursday? You were concentrating on the offense, but that included concentrating on the offensive line. And on in the spring, the offensive line was kind of getting pushed around by the defensive line. What did you see in that regard on Thursday? Well, from the defensive ends, I think the number one thing that I saw from JT Tumaloa was that he, he was a little more explosive than I thought. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I don't mean that to sound like I came in thinking that he was, um, 
you know, that he was fighting for a playing spot. I, I kind of knew where he, he was on the depth chart. I knew the Penn State game, but I, I was pretty impressed by him in, in terms of how explosive he was and kind of, you know, just his size and, and explosiveness off the edge. Um, but yeah, I mean, to, to answer your original question, it, to my to my eye, it it seems like you're pretty set at at defensive end. Now, obviously, that's a position that you rotate a lot. So, like you said, Kenyatta Jackson, like I don't think he's going to steal a starting spot from Jack Sawyer or JT, but that that feels like one of those things where stealing a starting spot can be okay. Well, the reps are maybe split a little more evenly if you feel like you need to get Kenyatta Jackson on the field, like. I always love when coaches at any level say, ah, well, you know, we don't really, whenever they pull out the, we don't really have a starter, you know, whatever. We don't really, you know, view them as start. Well, somebody has got to take the first, somebody has got to take the first play. Somebody's going to be there on the first play of the game. So I think you can just kind of split the reps a little more evenly if you feel that way. But I think JT and Jack Sawyer are going to be your two, uh, your two rush ends. Yeah. And if it really doesn't matter, then walk out before the game with a bag with names in it and draw the names out of the bag. And that's how you pick your starting line. If it really doesn't matter, I think it matters a little bit who's starting there at the, at the beginning of a game. I think coaches will tell you uh, someone in football, definitely in other sports like basketball, it matters more who's on the court at the end of a game than at the beginning. I get that. But don't tell me it doesn't matter at all who starts. So I am marking down JT Tuamaloa and Jack Sawyer as the starting defensive ends at Indiana. Does anyone dispute that? No, we're all on the same page so far. So that's and that's where we thought this would be when they both committed here. We thought third year, those guys should be not just starting at Indiana to start the year, although we didn't know. Maybe you didn't know they were playing Indiana at that time. Who didn't starting on opening day for sure, but that they should be as good of a defensive end pairing as there is in the country. And I think that's what remains to be seen is whether these two guys reach that next level. We've seen the flashes of it, more so from, from Tua Maloau, but even from Sawyer, we've seen that there's something there. I think what remains to be seen is whether this is a like intimidating, really disruptive pair of defensive ends, not just starting defensive ends. They need... Starting is the easy part. Yeah, starting, I mean, that's just, yeah, that's very much the easy part. That just means you had your name called first. They need them to be some version of the idea of what Nick Bosa and Chase Young were going to be in 2018. I'm not saying that one of them has to be as good as Nick Bosa and one of them has to be as good as Chase Young, but that collective effort of what Ohio State missed out on, where you had two five-star dudes who were just going to be – it was going to be a race to the quarterback every single passing snap, especially on third down. Ohio State needs that. They need to feel – Maybe one of them's an All-American and the other one's an All-Big Ten guy and he has to come back for another year, which in that situation, just based off what we know now, that's probably JT being the, the former and Jack Sawyer being the latter. But they, re- if both of those guys are what people thought they were as recruits, that solves so many issues for Jim Knowles' defense because there are going to be some situations where maybe Jim Knowles wants to be aggressive and send the blitz, but he doesn't have to because JT and Jack are going to be at the quarterback every other, other snap. Andrew, I know you've been studying this roster to, to you know get yourself familiar and try to get a um, you know a, a perspective on what this team is going to be this year. As it relates to those interior defensive line positions, the defensive tackle positions, do you feel like right now you have a grasp on what Ohio State has there, who should be the best players there, or does this still feel like a lot's going to get sorted out in preseason camp? Well, it kind of feels like Hall and Hamilton. I mean, are the two guys that everyone expects a lot out of. Like, I think 
the number one thing that I've heard a lot about with Mike Hall is consistency and, and kind of giving that, you know, kind of a, a, in a similar light to JT Tumaloa, you want to give that not, maybe not effort, but that kind of production every week. And like, if I'll say that if you can get the, the type of effort that you want and expect from Sawyer Tumaloa, Jackson on the edge, I'm not going to say it makes it easier for the interior guys because you can, you can always help like, right. Like if Tua is just wrecking offenses every week, you can, you can help. It's a lot easier. And offensive coordinators and quarterbacks will tell you this. They hate interior pressure. So I think, you know, the, the thing that I'm kind of looking at the interior defensive line here is like, I think that this might be one of the more underratedly important kind of two players on the roster, whoever they are, they're going to play at, at any given time. I just think that if you can develop a defensive line, like if, like if I were building a college football team from scratch you're and and you could say, all right, you have national championship winning talent at what positions it's quarterback one. And then I would take defensive line two. Like you, you got to have a good front four. And I think that if you can get the type of production, it feels like you're expecting that type of production out of JT Tumaloa and Jack Sawyer. Like that's the vibe that I've gotten that a lot of people are saying, Hey, look, this is what these guys can be. This is what these guys are going to be in this year. If you can get any kind of pressure in the front four, then I think you've got a serious problem for opposing offenses. That is what is going to kind of transform this Ohio state defense. So if you, you know, I have big expectations for them in the way that I think I look at them as a very, very crucial part of the roster. And if, if Mike Hall is what kind of everybody says he can be every play and the same thing, like for whoever else is going to play on that interior, I, I think you're feeling really good about this defense. No, never heard of this Mike Hall guy. I'm, I'm intrigued to, to learn more about Yeah, him. I was going to say, Steven, like, weren't you, you, yeah, you were like the king of the Mike Hall bus, right? Like you're the, like the conductor or whatever uh, you want to say of, of driving I wasn't that bus. king. It wasn't. It wasn't like I was, you know, it wasn't like a birthright. I had to go like, okay. I was more like an emperor. I had to like go okay. take the, the Mike Hall bus. Uh, Steven, could we have a situation in defensive tackle where the guys who start are not necessarily the guys who play the most snaps? Kind of the, the point that I was making before about the who plays at the end of the game is more important than who plays at the start of the game. That's exactly what my point was going to be. I am wondering how much control Larry Johnson has to give up with that rotation because what, however you feel about how it went last year, it wasn't great all the time. There were times out there when you're wondering why aren't Zach Harrison and JT Tuimolo out on the field and neither one of them were on the field. I remember the Northwestern game specifically where Zach Harrison and JT Tuimolo were headed out onto the field and got called back so that Javante Jean-Baptiste, and I, I don't think it was Jack Sawyer, but I can't remember who the other defensive end was. But he sent them out there in a crucial moment of the game. I get year one of Jim Knowles, Larry Johnson's a legend, yada, yada, yada. You allow him to just control his, his room. But Jim Knowles gets paid $2 million to do this, and I wonder how much control. I'm not saying it's still going to be Larry Johnson's decision, but if he had 100% control over what that rotation was in 2022, and really since he's been here, I wonder if he has maybe 65% of it this year, especially with the way that Ryan Day has talked about it on numerous occasions, that defensive line rotation. I understand. I think the default answer here is Ty Hamilton and Mike Hall. I didn't pick that answer. 
And it's because I laid eyes on Taiwan Malone, who is six foot four, three hundred and three pounds. He looks like an SEC interior defensive lineman. Like he looked it. We we watched Georgia play football last year, Nathan. We saw what those Georgia interior defensive linemen look like. He looked like that. And my call is my call. And he should be out there for every important snap that I can think of. And then add 10 more snaps on top of that. I think it gets to a point where it was my call and Ty Hamilton who were the starters on day one of fall camp. But I will not be shocked if Taiwan Malone is doing stuff over the next 30 days and he demands to be a starter, even if this is a four, maybe five man rotation. But him and Taiwan Malone and then freshman Jason Moore just looked a little different. And Jason Moore is not going to play as much this year because he is a true freshman who, though I do think if he had early enrolled, this is a different conversation for him. But those two look like what you need your defensive tackles to look like in this day and age in football. And I don't think that Taiwan Malone is going to – I think he forces his way into the starting lineup. So I I understand if you're going to go Ty Hamilton in my call, but I want Taiwan Malone in my call because I think those two just might be your best two guys. Andrew, were you going Ty Hamilton in my call? That's who I. That's who I assumed. That's what I kind of noticed yesterday. Yeah, that's where I went too. And I, I hear what Steven's saying. The thing that gives me pause about bumping Ty Hamilton out is Ohio State yesterday released its list of Iron Buckeyes for the summer, and yeah. Ty Hamilton is on that list. And those guys tend to get rewarded with things. They tend to be. Uh, very prominent in the captain voting. And if there's a way to get them on the field in a prominent way, that happens. So I am sticking with uh, opening day prediction, Ty Hamilton and Mike Hall. I almost think it would be more likely that they would go Malone over Hall because Hall's Hmm. best attribute is still the pass rush. And so you can even say, well, we're just using Malone on first down. And then when it's second and eight against Indiana, which it probably will be a lot, now Mike Hall comes in and and he gets uh, to feast there. I think that's maybe more likely than Ty Hamilton getting supplanted. Ty Hamilton has done a lot in the last year, both starting down the stretch and then also um, just what he did this summer, apparently. So I think firm up his status as a starter. But we'll see because I think that's still a, a very an interesting position of of competition that's going to continue through this preseason camp. Was Davon Hamilton the a, technically a starter in nineteen? Because I know they went six deep. Oh, yeah. that's why I'm that, okay. Was he like yeah, one yeah. of the first four defensive linemen to take the field? Correct. Yeah, I mean he. If you think back, like that twenty nineteen, he was really the one of that. I mean, Tommy Togiai was obviously a big body, but Togiai was still farther back in that rotation. The top of that rotation yeah. was Hamilton, Jayshon Cornell, who's a, a true three-tech, a guy who came as a defensive end and got bumped inside yeah. in the in the Larry Johnson mold, and then B.B. Landers, who uh, a great football player, but nobody's calling him really a, a true nose. So that was what Damon Hamilton was for, for that defense. It was really Hamilton and Togiai that – were the the nose rotation for the most part when they when they cared about that kind of alignment and then those other guys more of like three tech ish players BB kind of bouncing maybe a little bit both but yeah no Hamilton was a massive player on that team and I think at the time we sort of speculated that the pressure created by Chase Young 
which then in turn leads to pressure on the other side, et cetera, was creating pre- was creating opportunities for those guys in the middle. And I think what we've probably learned over time was, sure, that was true a little bit, but also Davon Hamilton's really good. He's been a good mm-hmm. NFL player now, and he had just arrived that year. So again, I, Andrew is really getting at something where this defensive line, if you're talking about, if you're talking right now about which positions have the highest ceilings on this defense. That's an defensive interesting line, question. I think defensive line is my highest ceiling for 2023 because hmm. just look at the pedigrees of, of so many of these guys and, and we've seen what Tumaloa can do. We have a, a whiff of what Jack Sawyer can be, especially now if he gets to just dedicate himself to being a defensive end, putting the Jack behind. And then when you then can add in legitimate pressure, you get a healthy like if Mike Hall had been able to take what he did in those first couple games and and really push it out through the whole season rather than be hurt the way he was. And now adding Malone into it, I think that that's maybe like if you're buying stock in a position group, it's not that that one would come cheap because Tua Malowau and and Sawyer and those guys are are respected and Mike Hall, all those you know guys who were getting preseason Defensive Player of the Year votes in our poll, but the the upside is potentially pretty significant, I think, for that group. I think that's actually an interesting discussion that we don't have time for on this pod of which of these groups, if you actually could buy stock in the three levels of the well, four, because we'll make safety its own thing on the, in the four position rooms on defense, which one would you get the biggest bang for your buck? If it pops, I understand the case for, defensive lineman, but also as you it's as you just said, it's not gonna come cheap because JT Tuimaloa still is in that room. I think you might be able to make a case that the best bang for your buck in a situation like that might be corner because it's it's this thing you hear about, but there's no actual proof in it yet. Right? It's it with with the defensive line, we've at least seen examples. We haven't really seen examples yet with these back seven guys that they are going, whatever their ceiling is, they're going to reach it. And it might JT Tuimaloa and Jack Sawyer clearly have the highest ceiling than probably anybody on this defense of guys who have played any level of meaningful snaps in more than one game, which in- excludes the guy we're going to get to later on in this pod. But it from a stop from a situation of who is most likely to reach their ceiling. I think that's an interesting conversation for another day. Let's stay in the front seven. I think you're right. Let's put a pin in that. Uh, you're the host the rest of the week, so maybe we come back to that at some point during <laughs> camp. But let's stay in the front seven. Do Steel Chambers and Tommy Eichenberg start every game this year if healthy? Yes. Yes. And I was waiting for – and it's only been one conversation and one practice that we had on Thursday, but I was waiting for Jim Knowles to give me some indication that something else had happened there. He has talked in the past about how he wants to get Cody Simon more snaps, but he's not talking about him as potentially starting for this team. And when he he also isn't talking about someone like C.J. Hicks pushing Steel Chambers. He's saying, well, I've got to find a way to get him on the field, which actually is kind of code for he's not going to start. <laughs> I've got to find another way to get him on the field because there's a dude in front of him. And it's it's interesting. Uh, your perspective on this is, is going to be unique, Andrew, because – for those of us who watched Chambers and I mean Chambers came into the program as a running back, Eichenberg came into the program as 
a guy who was maybe a little bit lost in the shuffle wasn't he was in that weird spot of like he's not ranked low enough to be considered like a diamond in the rough he's not ranked high enough to be considered a like blue chip prospect is in that weird middle area. And I think got overlooked a little bit too much by uh, us and, and everyone. And has certainly proved himself. But do you look at Ohio state? Uh, I guess what, it, when you look at Ohio state and what it has at linebacker, how much do you factor that into how successful you think this defense is going to be this year? Well, I mean, I think Tommy Eichenberg, like you saw it last year. I mean, what was it with two broken hands or two broken wrists or what? What, what was what was the official? His diagnosis hands were of that? amputated. Bones. His hands were amputated yep. at the wrist before the Michigan game, and he had <laughs> yep. fifteen tackles. Yeah, well, so exactly. Like, I mean, that's a guy who you you look at and you're like, hey, he can tackle without you know being able to grip anything. He can tackle without you know having use of his hand. Like, that's a guy who you just need on your defense. Um, that's a guy you want on your defense. Uh, Steel Chambers, I mean, selfishly, like I want him to play every game and I want him to play really well because uh, he was a great interview yesterday. Uh, he, we were asking him questions yeah. and he stopped his – somebody asked him a question. I think it was about – I forget what the exact pivot was, but I think it was Tommy. Somebody asked him – like somebody asked him a question about Tommy. And then he just goes, yep. Have any of you guys seen Oppenheimer lately? Have you guys, like, have you guys been to that movie? And then he just went into his synopsis about Oppenheimer. So I hope Steel Chambers plays well because he was an interesting dude. Um, but yeah, like I think if if everything goes well, those are two guys that are going to play. Like those are two guys that are going to play a lot. And when you talk about a a unit that kind of has that versatility, I mean, we talked about kind of different sub packages that you can use. And, and obviously we'll get to this guy in a few minutes, but like Sonny Styles, you're talking about where you can use him and all the different kind of ways you can use him. Um, I think that there's a little bit room, there's a little bit of room, excuse me, for for creativity, if you will, with that defense. But I think those are two guys who, I mean, you're going to want on the field a lot. So marking it down for, for Chambers and Eichenberg, I really don't know that there's a lot of discussion there. Those guys are going into their third years as at least partial starters, and Ohio State is pretty secure there. Going back to Andrew, though, how much did you get let off the hook when Jim Knowles was asked yesterday, mm. Hey, are Denzel Burke and Jordan Hancock your starting corners? And he said, "Yep." They probably made oh, it today I, a little easier for you. Oh, good God! Yeah, Jim. I, Jim Knowles is getting a fruit basket from me when we when we're done recording this podcast because I think you he'd know, rather have a uh, thermos of coffee. But go ahead, <laughs> yep. or, or or a box of cigars. Box of cigars. Box of cigars. Um, well, I don't really, I don't have much experience in that regard, so I'm going to have to rely on somebody else to send him that. But he will, he should be getting something because that made it a lot easier. Yeah, I mean. I could have guessed, you know, in the, you know, you read a bunch of stuff and you read a bunch of stories, but like, it's one thing to read a bunch of stuff and read, talk to you guys and talk to a bunch of other people and see what's going on and then have the defensive coordinator come out and say it. Um, so that was remarkably helpful. So, yeah, I mean, I think you look at these two corners and I mean, you, you have to be feeling good about them, right? Like you have to be, I mean, in terms of their pedigree, in terms of kind of what, what you want, I think Nathan, you, you were driving the bus for, for Hancock, correct? That is correct. So, yeah, I mean, we don't so have to keep reminding Nathan of the, the buses he's been driving over there. That's fine. He I knows, understand. He knows where they're parked at. <laughs> well, I mean, so it, I mean, it, it helps that uh, it helps that I had that and it helps that Jim came out and said it. So, uh, yeah, the last couple of days have been have been very reaffirming in that regard in terms of just kind of helping me out over who's going to see the field and who's not. 
Steven, if, um, when we came out of the spring, I, I felt like maybe this was all just us being impressed with how large Davis Nigbenosum was, but it felt mm. still like a three cornerback rotation. Has it meant anything to you to hear from what Ryan Day was saying at Big Team Media Days to what we saw at practice to what Jim Knowles said? Does it say anything to you that it seems like there's a separation there between Jordan Hancock and Davis and Igbenosin? No, I think we're getting ready to go too far left with that. I, I I think we went too far left with the, this is going to be three-man rotation, but I think now that we're going too far left with the, this is Denzel Burke and Jordan Hancock's job, I think there's somewhere in the middle where Davis and Igbenosin is still part of this. It's just... I mean, they really had a lot of high hopes for Jordan Hancock last year, and then he got hurt. And if he's doing all the stuff he was doing a year ago while also not being hurt, then I'm not that shocked that he claimed his job once again while Denzel Burke is Denzel Burke. I Now, granted, with both of those guys, we're still three days in the fall camp, four days, as you're hearing this, into fall camp. So we're not even at the point last year where either one of them had started dealing with injury problems. So they still got to get through fall camp before we really go all the way out with this conversation. But I just think that had last year played out like normal, this is just how it would be. Denzel Burke and Jordan Hancock probably would have claimed both of the starting spots at some point last year over Cameron Brown. And then they'd just be returning starters. And But because of injuries, we don't look at them like that. I do think, though, Andrew, Jim Knowles is a vegan, so you could take him out to get a you know vegan burger. You know uh, who's not vegan anymore, though? Justin Fields. He's pescatarian now. What so it, me and okay, Justin so have what, something wait, in common. So what are the difference between what's the difference between veganism and pes, pes, pescatarian? Whatever uh, you just said. Eat fish. You don't eat, yes, they can eat. Okay. And vegans are you eat fit? Annoying. Yeah, vegans eat no meat at all. <laughs> No, veg- I'm sorry. I, yeah, vegans is like a lifestyle choice. Vegetarian, okay. you just eat veggies. Pescatarians, which you don't eat, you only yeah. eat fish or fowl. So you don't eat red meat if you're pescatarian. Oh, that's yeah. That, I'm out. Out. I'm out. To, yeah, I'd be. Yeah, I, I. I. I couldn't tell you the last time. I don't. I'm trying to think of the last time. Like, what's the longest amount of time I've gone without eating red meat? It's been. Got to be like two days. So I don't think that would work for me. Wow. I think we're going to have to find some other kind of agreement with Jim and I. I so I apologize I, to the to the vegans. I was being <laughs> facetious there. I actually have – we probably eat vegan. Like a majority of the meals that I eat around the house, I think, are probably vegan. Um, we yeah. make like a lot of smoothies and we have some other dinners that we make. I could be pescatarian though. I couldn't do – I couldn't do vegan or probably even vegetarian. I could do pescatarian. Every time I go down to like Florida and spend some time – I'm like, no, okay, I could do this, but I would have to be someplace. Like, I don't think I could be a vegan yeah. or a, a pescatarian. Uh, definitely not vegan. I couldn't be a pescatarian in Indiana or Ohio, especially yeah. like Central Ohio. I don't want to be a landlocked pescatarian. That's fair. I want to be. That's fair. I want to be a coastal pescatarian. <laughs> what? You, uh, you I don't, don't trust, trust this. You don't trust the salmon in Indianapolis, Indiana? No. No, look, no. I'll eat I'll, salmon. I mean, I that. eat salmon at home. I'm just saying that, like, to make it part of my diet, I want the stuff that's right. coming right out of the right out of the drink. So we're right. all unified on Burke and Hancock. Yeah, Burke correct. Day. Really, no debate. I don't think on Lathan Ransom. We knew he was the incumbent at Bandit, to use Ryan Day's words. And we expected him to be a, a starting safety in some capacity here. I think there was confusion 
going back to the spring because they had Sonny Styles playing behind him at times or playing behind Josh Proctor or playing behind whoever at those high safety positions. And the that was always what confused things was like, well, what if Sonny Styles is so good that he even surpasses Lathan Ransom? And I don't know that anybody thought that that was really feasible, which is why it became very confusing as to what necessarily they were going to do with Sonny Styles. But the revelation that he's at nickel for a reason, that it wasn't just that, that Cam Martinez had a little uh, episode or whatever at practice yesterday that or Thursday, that they believe in Sonny Styles. That brought some clarity to the safety position. And then also the idea that Jihad Carter is going to adjuster, is playing adjuster, and is now probably in a three-safety cluster with those other two guys. I want to start with Carter because I Ransom we're just locked in on, and I don't think that's much of a prediction. But for Jihad Carter, Stephen – does that make sense to you that that is going to end up ultimately maybe being his better fit either for his skill set or for this defense? He played high safety at Syracuse, if I'm not mistaken. So Yeah, so it's at Syracuse they used a three safety alignment, but it was really more like three they didn't really they didn't always have one of those guys in the box. Sometimes it was like three guys up. So right. I, from what I watched, he did spend more time away from the line of scrimmage than he did playing down in the box. I think that adjuster spot's interesting. I was it looked interesting when I watched it. It did look like a better fit than before he got hurt in the spring when we were watching him in that nickel spot. Um we wouldn't be Buckeye Talk if we didn't bring up Josh Proctor's name at least once, you know. And <laughs> I already did. <laughs> that's twice. <laughs> yeah, that's twice. I don't they're really intri- they're really excited about that trio. That Carter, Lathan Ransom, Sonny Styles trio. So for starters, that's what I'm marking down. But I do wonder if that opens up an opportunity for Josh Proctor to maybe get on the field as the adjuster now that you feel like because there's some athleticism there. There's something that's untapped there. The problem is he's just been here for 75 years. So after a while, if you don't eventually open up something, it's just never going to get opened up there. So there's that's intriguing to me. But I do think that Jim Knowles got asked on Thursday about, do you want flexibility amongst your safeties or you just want guys to lock in on one position and learn that? And Jim Knowles said he loves it. He wants the flexibility, but he's not going to push that. He's, he wants guys to learn one position first. Well, Sonny Styles can do everything. At least we think he can. We'll see if he can actually do it or not on September 2nd. Lathan Ransom has played all three of those safety spots at some point in his career. He was a slot in 2020, when they were down on numbers and needed somebody to step in in the Big Ten Championship game and in the National Championship game and against Clemson, he's played adjuster as a backup. He stepped in for Josh Proctor as the bandit last season. So he's got experience at all three of those spots. Jahad Carter is coming from a system where it seemed like they were interchangeable. Like it, At some point, he probably learned all of those spots. And so... It feels like that trio, that pairing, because they they paired teams on purpose. They didn't. It wasn't. I know Jim Knowles tried to you know brush it off as just that they were just getting guys in, getting guys in. But they were. It was purposeful. Everything that they were doing, and while they had guys in certain spots, and they had that trio together, no matter what they were doing. And that trio, I feel like, gives you the ability to have the flexibility you need in a game, while also not feeling like you're trying to 
throw a million things at an 18 year old kid or a kid or kids who are still developing as football players. You know, I hadn't really thought of that aspect of it, but the, the you putting two veterans, making sure it's two veterans that are there with Sonny Styles, that may mm-hmm. make a lot of sense too. And you've got two pretty veteran guys, obviously at corner too. I mean, Burke being a third year starter and Hancock having you know third year experience, even if he didn't get to play as much as he wanted to last year. I wonder if that uh, does play into this a little bit. Andrew, you were the one driving. Um, the Sunny Styles bus, right? Uh, earlier this week, and of course, <laughs> it had to be uh, some validation for you then to hear him uh, mentioned so prominently on Saturday. But I guess as you're watching, as you're looking ahead, projecting for what you think this defense is going to be this fall, I mean, what's maybe the thing that you're most intrigued to see him be able to do if they are going to, in fact, start him at nickel? Well, I think with Sonny specifically, it's it's moving him around and also kind of balancing the level of not overwhelming him, um, you know, because it's one thing to have a player like that, to have a weapon like that, where you can say he's going he's we're going to move him here on these downs and here on these downs. And if we and if we play a specific type of player, he's going to play against this guy more often and he's going to play in this role. And if you're moving a guy around a lot, that. I mean, that's something that I think you can do freely and feel good about it, which is why I like Steven's point about having some veterans back there, like, like kind of like you did. But I think the, the versatility with him is something that I'm fascinated by because it's like I said, it's one thing to move him around and and just be like, hey, look, we're you know, here's a bunch of roles that this guy is going to play. And here's all these different things that this guy is going to play. Well, he's also going into his second year of college. Like this, this isn't a fifth year, you know, or a COVID year, sixth year guy who knows the defense has been in the defense for a long time, could recite the defense, like some formations or blitz packages or whatever in his sleep. Like this is a guy who is still young in the college game and you still need, and and you'd basically be asking him to do a lot. So I'm curious to see how they use him and kind of what areas they use him while also like maybe he just picks it up really quickly and maybe he's just like, yeah, do whatever and I can do whatever and it'll be fine. But I also think that when you talk about Sonny, it, it is just a, he just seems to be such a unique athlete that like Jim Knowles said, you have to get him on the field in some way, shape or form. I just, I wonder what that's going to look like. Like how often is he moving around? Like what, what, what is the situation that dictates him moving around, right? Like if you're playing a great tight end, does he just now cover that tight end for the whole game? Like if you're playing a team that is, you know, that spreads you out and, you know, goes four wide, five wide the whole game, does he kind of play more of a linebacker role? Like, I I don't know. And I'm curious to see how they use him and and what kind of roles that they use him in because you can use him for a lot. It's just going to be what what works for, for that week. But if you're doing it week to week, if his role is changing every week, how does he handle that? That's a that's a lot to put on that kid's plate. I'm going to answer Andrew's question by quoting Jim Knowles. As he takes a drink. <sighs> yes. <laughs> Don't assume anything. Word. Thank you, Jim Knowles. <laughs> yeah. But listen, it's we need to be a little bit careful on Sunny Styles mm-hmm. that the 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 Things don't get we don't get out over our skis here a little bit, and I would caution fans about that too. Somebody is going to look at on the field and see a second year guy who should only be a first year guy, and 
is still coming into his own and is going to find an advantageous matchup and take advantage of it. It'll happen sometimes. For sure. For so, sure. So how does this defense react to that? And I think it's it the 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 optimism about this defense is the theory that there's just going to be more better athletes on the field across the board that help um, make up for when those things start to go wrong um, and can, and can bounce back from those things. So we shall see once, uh, once things get started on September 2nd, but that wraps up the defense. I assume we're all, so we're all going with what uh, Noel's saying that that safety cluster is working together. And, and presumably now those guys will be starting. So that really, I guess means the only true market down uh, dispute that we have is at nose tackle where Andrew and I both said Ty Hamilton or whatever defensive tackle position you want to call it. And Steven is saying Taiwan Malone, and we will see on September 2nd uh, who sign who lines up where, but that also, so we're also marking down uh, JT to a and Jack Sawyer at end Mike Hall at the other tackle steel chambers and Tommy Eichenberg at linebacker Denzel Burke and Jordan Hancock at corner. And then that starting safety cluster, Jihad Carter, Lathan Ransom and Sonny styles. Coming back after this break, we're going to start the offense. Quarterbacks will be in the third segment, so we're going to talk about the rest of the offense right after this. So I think we should probably start at running back because I don't think there's any question. We're just going to skip right past receiver and tight end, right? Is does anybody have a question about somebody other than the three returning starters at receiver and the returning starter at tight end starting this year? Because if not, then we'll we'll go right more to a more interesting discussion. There is a fraction of the fan base who is so enamored by Carnell Tate at this point that they feel like he's pushing Julian Fleming for that starting spot. And just like we just did with Sonny Styles in the first segment, or it's like, let's let's not go, let's not throw him in the NFL quite yet. Let's take our time with Carnell Tate. Okay. Let's say yeah, wanna- he's got three years. He's gonna have at least three years here that he can show why he's a first round draft pick. Let's not make him a top fifteen pick nine months until his career here. I think we should let's let's table that discussion for November. We've certainly seen true freshmen yeah. come in and over the course of a year, if they're just so talented that 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 has to happen. And I don't discount that that's possible because the guys that they're bringing in are such high ceiling guys. But for September 2nd, I'd be surprised. Uh, so I think we're all marking down the returning three starters. And and Kate Stover, just real quickly, to now be like such an entrenched part of this offense, an entrenched part of the identity of this team, do you get that vibe, Andrew, that, that it, he's one of those guys that it's not only uh, what he does physically for this team, but that there's a, a sort of an emotional component to him that that resonates through the rest of this roster. Well, yeah, I think, look, you know, I, I talked to him at Big Ten Media Day and you got that vibe very, very quickly um, that this was just a really serious dude. I mean, maybe he just didn't like doing media and that was fine, but like a very serious player, like somebody that, you know, I, in the other interviews that I've watched and that I've heard, they they very he's very clearly a respected member of the locker room in terms of what he brings, like you said, on the field and off the field. I think that is something that, is I think maybe underrated by fans a lot of the time about just somebody there, even if it's not at a high leverage position, like a quarterback or something like that, just kind of having a player that is on the field who does have, you know, emotional leadership and kind of a, a level that 
that other players kind of strive to in terms of where you want to get in your Ohio State career. Like, I think that that matters and that's, that's a big deal. So I think, um, I absolutely, I, I agree with that. I think that, um, you know, when you look at with Cade, I think that that's just, you know, that to me, that's something that, um, you know, that, that really just can't be overstated. Those iron Buckeyes that they released of the eight guys that they sent out, six are starters and the other two, if that if that includes Ty Hamilton, then the other two are Cody Simon, who's a you know a, a very veteran guy and has started in the past, and and Chip Trainum, who is not an offensive or defensive starter, but is an all around like special teams contributor. But I think it's important, and when you start seeing names like Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Buka show up on lists like that of the guys who were like working at the very very like tip top of the entire roster there's real um repercussions to that that can really correlate with on-field success when your very best players like all american level players are also the hardest working guys on the team like that is a thing that can resonate so i'm not trying to go too far down the the coach beat cliches there but i think that sports history would would bear that out that that can be a, a real impact so let's move on to running back Steven, how much consideration should Mayan Williams get as the starter over Trevion Henderson? Uh, both these guys were banged up last year at times, and really th- throughout the second half of the year. But when they both played, Mayan Williams was arguably more productive. Should that have any influence on who starts on September 2nd? No. I think they only played together for like three games last year <laughs> total. And every single time they both played, Trevion Henderson started – and I would assume that if they're both healthy September 2nd when the offense takes the field, unless Ryan Day finally decides to put two running backs on the field, which they're not going to do on this offense, Travion Henderson is going to be the starting running back. But you don't think that it should be something they consider? You think it should be – it's like a no-brainer to you that Travion Henderson starts? I think it's a 10-minute conversation, sure, because it's not like Mayan Williams isn't going to play. So I – I mean, depending on where you're at on the field, right? Something that uh, now you're talking about, you know, down in distance, you know, personnel. Like if 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 the if you don't get the ball first and the defense gets a turnover at Indiana's 15 yard line and you're in the goal line situation and you're trying to punch something in, then sure, maybe you go with Maya Williams or maybe one just had a better week of practice and you felt a little bit better about things, so you go with Maya Williams. Sure, because I don't know why, but I was looking at 2014 season stuff earlier this week. Ezekiel Elliott didn't start all those games. Curtis Samuel started a game that year. And so, sure, it's a 10-minute conversation that's worth having, and I'm sure they'll have it. But Travion Henderson's your best running back when everybody is healthy, regardless of what the production was last year and the context behind that production of last year. Andrew, I don't know if you've even looked at the stats, but if I had told you that one back last year averaged 6.45 yards per carry with 14 touchdowns, and one back averaged 5.34 yards per carry with six touchdowns. And there was only 21 carries difference between the two of them. I assume you would have maybe guessed the first one was Trevion Henderson, just based on reputation and, and the way that he's discussed. Do, do hearing numbers like that give you any second thought as to who should be the starting running back, the lead running back for this team? Um, 
Well, the numbers are certainly surprising for one, you know, I mean, that's not something that you expect to hear. Like you said, I, I think that was pretty laid out that, yeah, I mean, if you were to just kind of told me the numbers, oh yeah, trivia. Yeah. Like I, I would have, I would have gotten that, I would have gotten that trivia question wrong. I think um, it doesn't, doesn't really give me a ton of pause. I, Cause I still think like, like Steven said, like you're going to play both guys, right? Like, and you're probably going to play both guys a lot. Like Mayan Williams is not, you know, just because you're the backup running back, like it's not 1984 anymore where, you know, you, your starting running back is going to play uh, or your starting running back is going to get 32 carries a game. And then your backup's going to get six. Like you're going to, you're going to play both guys pretty significantly. So to me, I, it doesn't, it, it didn't really impact much. I, cause I didn't really put a ton of thought into it because I think Trevion Henderson's going to start, but like, I don't, I don't think that there's going to be like a significant drop off in terms of, you know, play uh, uh, in terms of plays di- dialed up for Mayan or, or kind of snap counts or anything like that. So yeah, I think it's Travion and then it's a, it's a close second with Mayan and doesn't really, I, I, the starter label is, is obviously I think going to go to Henderson, but it's going to be pretty close either way. And to be fair, five of those 14 touchdowns came against Rutgers, which we all know how we feel about Rutgers on Buckeye Talk. That should half count. That's true. They should count for it should be like two and a half touchdowns for, against Rutgers. Or two and a half yeah. touchdowns well, just in general. Uh but again, that was him stepping up when when Trevin Henderson couldn't play. True. That's why he got all the carries in that game. And I, I also I'm predicting Trevin Henderson as the starting running back on day one. I think he should be the running back on day one. And we've had this Henderson you know, Williams conversation in some version over the last couple of years on this podcast, certainly throughout last season when Trevin Henderson was not playing running the way that we had been given indications that he would be able to run as a, a second year guy building off of what he did as a freshman. And I still in the camp that the injuries were a big part of that, that other things that were going on with the team that were in his head were a big part of that. And now he has to find a way to, to kind of maybe mentally fight through some of those things in front of him a little bit better. I think that's true. I mean, anybody has to do that. But I also think that the nature of the injury for a running back, you know, having foot injuries, and Mike Williams had, had lower body injuries too over the last couple of years, that those make it very hard to do your job. So I'm, I'm in the camp that he will be able to go out and return to form a little bit this year. And and there's a reason why, as you said, Stephen, that anytime both of them were available, Trevion kept getting the nod. And they could very easily have said, hey, they're both performing really well, but uh, Mayan had the better week of practice, so he got the first snap. And that just never, ever, ever, ever happened. So with no objection, uh, well, you guys can object if you want. But I I think that we we are all in unison that Trevion Henderson is the starting running back on September 2nd. Myself and 21 of our Texas are driving a bus for him, so that'd be kind of weird if I didn't think he was going to be a starter. That's a weird way to start off a bus conversation. I think you're correct. Uh, our Donovan Jackson and Matt Jones return as the starting guards. Are we reserving any possible chance that something happens here? Like Matt Jones was taking snaps uh, at center. It was like the fourth center, but he was doing some snaps, some under center snaps. At, in the individuals at practice on Saturday, or Thursday, I should say. Um, are we locked in on him staying at guard? Are we locked in on Donovan Jackson staying at guard? Do we think in these next three weeks at camp, 
that there's any kind of funky stuff that could happen where they shift things around. No, because we haven't seen Donovan Jackson do any tackle things in nine months. Had And we've watched a lot of full practices. Had we seen him at all, even if it was one time in April during a period four when barely anybody was paying attention that he did a tackle thing, then they would give you something to latch on to. I think the Matthew Jones thing is just – I mean, he's been taking snaps as a center, as a backup center since he got here, and you got to be prepared for anything, so that's probably more that – but also, Jacob James is get, is just getting healthy and getting back into the swing of things. And so if something happens to either James or Hinsman as the starting center, is it a better option to slide Matthew Jones over and put en- Enoch Vermaehi in or just giving yourself options? But no, I think Justin Fry made it abundantly clear in the spring that Donovan Jackson wasn't moving. I think Donovan Jackson did the same. And so guard has just not been a question now for – two years really of who were going to be the starters there. So I don't know, Andrew, you haven't even necessarily been privy to some of the conversations have gone on there about Donovan Jackson, maybe moving to left tackle. Uh, Matt Jones was a center earlier in his career, but I, I would argue that you could be cutting off your nose to spite your face at some point there that, that you're probably better off. If you think you've got two guys who could be locked in and could be among the best in the big 10 at what they do, you might be better off letting them do that rather than trying to mix and match your way to some other kind of a mix. Yeah, you know, th- that's kind of the the thing that I think you hear it at a lot of different levels. And, and I, I'm kind of on the same page with you. It sounds like where, you know, you've if you've got a left and a right guard that you feel good about and your center goes down, for example, something like that, like, you don't want to move any of those guys over because then all of a sudden you have two new positions instead of one and you're taking away, like you said, two guys who what you think is going to do very, you know, you're pretty, you're pretty high on what they could do and you think that they could do pretty good things. So yeah, I, I, I kind of lean towards, you know, it, it cross training players is good. You know, I mean, if you have a guy who knows how to play left and right tackle or tackle and guard, I mean, that's a good thing to have on your offensive line because you're going to need those guys. I mean, they're just going to be players. It's a NFL, college, it doesn't matter. You're going to have guys on your offensive line specifically that are just not ready to play. And and that's fine because that you know you got to develop these kids. But additionally, you've got to have those guys ready to go, but that, that should not kind of be your first resort. That should not be, all right, that's plan B. As soon as something goes wrong, we're moving guys left and right and up and down and all over the place. Like I, I think that that is kind of the – that is kind of where you should go. And, you know, I think in talking to you guys, in talking to other people on the beat, in reading Twitter and message boards and reading everything that I possibly could about it, it, it kind of feels like fans feel good about the interior, whatever, whatever's going to happen there at center. It feels like that is something that people say, okay, this, this is going to work. You get to the offensive tackles and it's a different conversation, but it feels like on the interior, you don't want to upset the apple cart too much and, and you're feeling fairly solid with, with at least two, probably maybe even three of those guys uh, uh, up the middle. So Ohio State did have one of those guys who was kind of cross-trained to both, the swing tackle, as you might even call him, in Josh Fryer. Based on what we've seen and heard, do we expect a healthy Josh Fryer to start on opening day? Yeah, I'm ready to pin pencil that one in maybe just write it in pen um he looked better than he did in the spring which is 
you know, gives you a little bit of confidence in what he might be able to do in that position. But he took – from what I saw, I wasn't watching all the offense, but anytime I saw the first-team offensive line, I saw him at left tackle. And that's the – that him, Matthew Jones, and Donovan Jackson, from my account, were the only people I saw consistently with every snap they took was with the first-team offensive line. Josh Fryer was down seven pounds based on the roster that they gave us on Thursday for the start of preseason camp, which I think is prob- was probably a goal. I haven't talked to him in a little bit, but a, a goal to be more mobile, to to be able to handle what's coming off of the edge there. But I agree. We don't have any indications right now that anyone is really challenging him. Luke Montgomery was the second string left tackle for a lot of snaps uh, at that Thursday practice. I think all of us have still some skepticism that they would put a true freshman in that position. So I think we're all, unless someone can correct me, marking down Josh Fryer as a opening day left tackle. So that gets us to two, well, two more on the offensive line, but one that's actually more open. We'll talk center first. What would it take for Jacob James to do in preseason camp to take this job away from Carson Hensman now? Because it seems like there's an obvious, in the spring, it was Hensman and Cutler. And it said something to me that day one, James moves back in as the like second string guy and was even taking snaps with the first string quarterbacks at times. And Cutler is kind of down to the next level. Like it really seems like if it's, if it is a competition at all, if it isn't Carson Hensman's job right now, then the competition is between him and Jacob James. And I think it might've always been that way. It's just, he was out in the spring, so he didn't get a chance to participate. I think it's, it's not quite Hinsman's to lose yet, but I think it's trending that way because from bowl practice to spring practice to summer to now, it just he's just been gaining momentum, man, that Jacob James wasn't able to do on the field. J- uh, Justin Fry mentioned in the spring that Jacob James was – Right was living in his pocket, basically, even if he couldn't participate in making sure that he was staying up to speed. But Carson Hensman's a second-year guy who got a lot of opportunities over the past nine months, and I'm not sure if Jacob James is going to be able to make up for that in this battle. He's getting a fair shot, clearly, because even when they were just doing quarterback center snaps, uh, Kyle McCord and Devin Brown were all were working with both at times, which is both the, about the quarterback battle, but then also you know the center battle as well. I just think... Carson Hensman has built such a runway here, and it doesn't feel like he. We talk about this with quarterback a lot. How you don't you don't you can't just catch break even. You got to pass them to make this a real competition. And I think Jacob James would have to not only catch up to where Carson Hensman has gotten to, but also pass him. And I just don't see that happening. It's funny that back in 2021, we thought maybe Ohio State was going to pair its new starting quarterback C.J. Stroud at the time with a veteran center in Harry Miller, at least someone he hadn't been playing center exclusively for Ohio State, but was a, a, a starting guard the year before on a team that made it to the national championship game. And then Harry Miller's career takes a turn, and all of a sudden Luke Whipler's kind of thrust into the job as a second-year player. And that, I think, made us rethink a little bit how quick we were to be skeptical of second-year guys. Even if we had seen second-year guys right before these guys, like Josh Myers – uh, even Wyatt Davis, to some extent, didn't really get his chance at the end of his second year. So to be a redshirt freshman starting is a little bit, uh, it's usually not the expected course of events. And that could maybe even apply to how we, we look at this t- to some extent. But 
how important do you think this relationship is, Andrew, that to have a get some consistency out of this position? Is it even more important because it's a first year quarterback? Yeah, that was exactly what I was just going to say. You know, I mean, anytime you have a first year quarterback, you want to be able to have somebody who maybe can take the pressure off by pointing out blitzes, by pointing out, you know, if you have to change the protection, you want somebody there who can, who has been there, who can do that, who isn't, you know, also, you know, isn't, isn't kind of making a, a big leap of their own. You, you want a player that is intelligent enough to do that. And, and I think if you can, I mean, if you can get that interior position settled, I mean, I said this when we were talking about the defensive line on the, you know, the earlier part of this podcast, like the, the interior is, is maybe, I mean, I mean, you've, you, there are questions about the, who's going to start a tackle obviously, but, um, or at least it may be at right tackle, but the interior is a position that you just kind of need to get settled because that is something that you can, you know, you can, you can adjust for a problem at right tackle. You can do that. And having a first year quarterback, having a guy who's taking snaps for the first time, like in a, in a meaningful sense, I'm saying having that where he's not immediately having to hit the eject button and pull the shoot on getting out of the pocket because the, the interior collapsed, like that's a big deal. So getting that position settled and just having a stable body up there to go in between your two guards that you feel pretty good about, like we said, that's huge. I mean, that that just benefits – it benefits the offense in ways that I don't think fans are going to see a lot just in the way that, yeah, you there are just things that now are taken off Kyle McCord's plate or whoever is going to start a quarterback, presumably Kyle McCord. That's, that's a big deal. So assuming we're all marking down Carson Hensman, that leaves one spot sure. on the offensive line, and it's the big one. There actually is maybe still some dispute about this one. Zen Mahalski and Tegra Shabola were battling at right tackle in the spring, and then Ohio State brings in Josh Jimmy Simmons at right tackle, or bring him in as a, as a transfer uh, from San Diego State in the offseason. And with the expectation that he will jump into this battle and that this is now a three-man competition. And we saw all three guys doing some things at that Thursday practice. Simmons, obviously, a little bit newer and behind on on some things. And it made sense to defer to tenure, I think, in in the way that guys lined up on Thursday. But, Stephen, I guess kind of how are you handicapping that battle right now and what you think is going to decide it? I think the Zen Maholsky is the third best option, just based off talent alone and what I think their ceiling might be. I think he's third in that conversation. And from what I've seen now going back to spring, I feel validated in that a little bit. Jimmy Simmons is still catching up to speed, so I'll give him some reprieve, and I'll check back in on that on August 11th when we watch practice again. Tegra Shibola looks the part. I think that's fair to say. He's wearing 77 now, which – the last guy who wore 77 looked the part too, and he ended up being the sixth pick in the NFL draft. I'm not saying that that's Integra's future. I'm also not saying it's not. He looks the he looks like a dude who should be a first-round tackle and a future left tackle. And he admitted in the spring that part of his issue, and he said him and Paris really bonded over this because Paris said this was this issue early on in his career, overly aggressive. And defensive linemen could use that against him, and it put him in spots where he was vulnerable. 
And what if it clicks, man? Over the next 30 days, he works that part out as he's getting these reps with the ones and JT and Jack are kicking his butt. And he's learning every day about just trying to get more comfortable being out there. And he's playing right tackle instead of left tackle. So I'm not saying it, it's it's less consequential than left tackle because the quarterback can see who's coming at him and it's not the money position. But he just looks at man. And sometimes when you – I think that's the good thing about the first time you get to see practice. You get to see players in pads that you haven't seen in pads for a long time. And sometimes the eye test matters. And I think that in this – in a conversation where it feels like they might get to the end of this and Jimmy Simmons and Tegra Shabola might be equal. Do you go with the younger guy or do you go with the older guy? Because you've got a brand new starting quarterback in 2021. They went with the younger guy with no, it, it pushed um, Dewan Jones into the starting lineup when nobody was thinking about it that way. I wouldn't be shocked if, Tegra Shibola is the 2023 version of Dewan Jones where, okay, maybe you thought he was a year away from being a starter and he just takes a job at some point halfway through camp. So I don't think he's the safest pick here, but he's the pick that I think has the most upside long-term. So I marked down Tegra Shibola as my starting right tackle. Andrew, how did you think through this decision? Well, it was hard, <laughs> um, you know, because I, I think – the thing that I said yesterday when we when we talked was or on Thursday when we talked was for me, it's hard to get a grip on things when guys are not in pads. Um, I thought it was notable that Zen Mahalski had most of the first team reps. Um, you know, you're, that was the guy who I saw taking a lot of the first team right tackle plays. And I, I mean, that that can change. Look, it was the first day of practice, but if, if we feel, I mean, Steven said it, you, you, you almost want to put Josh Fryer and Penn at left tackle. Like if you got the other four kind of settled, you feel that this one goes into not overtime, I guess, but I mean, this is going to take a couple of more weeks because Shabola and Simmons, I just need to see more. Like, I mean, frankly, I haven't seen them with my own eyes. I want to see what they look like with pads on, how they react, what they do against against some edge rushers because JT Tumaloao and um, you know Jack Sawyer and Kenyatta Jackson, like these guys are going to test them in camp, and and I'm curious to see those battles. So, I this to me coming in and being new, this to me feels like maybe the one position on the offense where there's a little bit of teeth gritting going on by Ohio state fans and everybody else going, I don't know what's going to happen here. And I don't really feel good about any of the choices. So I, um, I, I mean, Frank, I'm just, I mean, I don't really have an answer for you. That's, that's super great just because I haven't seen these guys play in pads yet. I will have a better answer in a week or so, whenever that practice is that we're going to get to see them and um, for our next full practice. But yeah, I mean, I think it, it I'm just curious to see what the options are. You don't have like, you can't really defer. I mean, you look at these guys' eligibility list. Like, you can't really just defer to the fifth year guy or fourth year guy. Like, they're still you know relatively green. So I, I'm fascinated to see how right tackle plays out. Well, that's adorable, but you have to pick somebody today because All that's right. how market down Monday works. You can't sit on the fence on this podcast, Andrew. I. <sighs> I'm going to go with what I saw and take Zen Mahalski because I saw him take the first team reps yesterday. Um, I feel the that might be the worst I felt about – actually, no. The 
forgetting Troy Smith was pretty bad. Um, but I, I think that might be the worst, the second worst thing I feel about whatever you get what I'm trying to say. I don't feel great about saying Zen Mahalski right tackle, but that was what I saw. And if like we, like, like Nathan said, if, if you're truly not concerned with who's the starter, you pick names out of a hat and you just say, go out there. Like there's, you started the kid at right tackle. He had the first team reps. He had the majority of the first team reps from what I saw yesterday. I'm going to go with him because that's what I saw. I think, uh, especially from your perspective, that is a, a fair approach. I am going to make it a clean non-sweep, and I'm going to take Josh Jimmy Ooh. Simmons as right. my pick to start. And he was not that involved with first-team stuff Thursday. I'm going under the impression that that's because you're a, a uh, transfer who didn't even have a spring. So this is a bit of a reach, maybe for that reason, because he's got some some ground to gain here. Uh, however, the Taiwan Malone situation is not markedly different than that in some ways. He also had a, a pretty uh, non-conventional spring involved with baseball and things like that. So it it, it may not, and, and there were obviously Ohio State players who didn't do anything this spring because of injury and things like that. So we shouldn't maybe get over emphasizing that and to me it comes down to if they thought maybe this isn't completely fair because they need depth too but if they thought that Shabola and Mahalski were starting caliber in the spring do they need to bring on Simmons and the answer is probably actually still yes again from a depth standpoint and that's mm-hmm. still a big question mark that I have for this offense but it also goes back to this is a guy who's done this. He has started at this position. He has played uh, at a, a high level. It wasn't a Big Ten level, but it was closer to playing at a Big Ten level than what Mahalski and Shabola have done so far. And I think that might be what wins out on day one. I'm also, though, not sure that this doesn't main, remain a competition week to week throughout the season, that this may be something where – both Mahalski and Shibola, if they're not the pick on day one, are young enough and at a stage in their development, especially Shibola, I agree with you, Stephen, that the upside on him could win out over the course of this season. And I would fully expect him, at the very least, to be a big part of the 2024 offensive line because he has spent a year at guard. He really kind of more has the body of a tackle. So does that help determine where he would play in 2024? Does he give you some options? It certainly even gives you options for where you could play him if you had to, or if some other things happened on that offensive line this year. So again, really only one position where there's much drama in what we're picking, but we all pick someone different to win the right tackle battle. I picked uh, Mr. Simmons, Steven picks Mr. Shibola, and Andrew picks Mr. Mahalski. We are coming back from this break. And, oh yeah, quarterback? They need a quarterback, probably. Somebody should play quarterback. And we will mark down who we think that'll be here on Buckeye Talk. Get the text, 614-350-3315. We've said it before. It's a great time to sign up. Great time to get the two-week free trial. You sign up. Two weeks go by. You get all our texts from camp. You don't like it as much as you thought you might. You just hit stop, and you're out. And we appreciate you giving us a try. But we think you might uh, stick around because a lot of people have, and we have a great time with them. 
great back and forth. Had some good conversation with them on Friday when all the Big Ten stuff was going down. Had some some fun conversations back and forth with some texters, also some people who were at the Thursday practice and could drop some intel for us, such as Kyle McCord throwing a pick six in practice that Denzel Burke picked off. So it's only fair to mention that after we mentioned the fact that Devin Brown had one at the Thursday practice that we saw, but also getting some reports that it was a lot of what we saw on Thursday as far as how the quarterbacks were looking, that it wasn't necessarily somebody uh, uh, really dropping bombs out there, but uh, other than the pick six, a pretty clean day for Kyle McCord. Do you guys believe after what you've seen and heard, do you believe what Ryan Day is saying about this being like razor thin, or do you think someone has the lead as we're entering just the second week, really still in the first week of preseason camp? I don't think it's razor thin. I think Kyle McCord has started to take the steps it's, you know, in basketball, basketball is a game of runs. I, lo- I love basketball, so I like using basketball references. You know when a run is right about to start, you can feel it. It's about to take off. It hasn't really started yet, but you can feel it coming. It's gone back. Teams made a couple of shots. The other teams maybe missed a couple. It's like, all right, a run. You can feel a run coming. I think that's where Kyle McCord is right now, where the next week and a half – are going to show a lot and how much of a gap he can create. Because I think the gap, it's not razor thin, it's a, but it's enough that one really good practice might start setting the tone for how the rest of his spring, excuse me, the rest of his fall might look. And that's where you start to see him create some separation as they head into that first scrimmage. And it's like, okay, you're starting to see it. And then by that second scrimmage, maybe he gets Day, Hartline, Fitch, and Dennis's heads turn a little bit like, okay, maybe we've started to see our starting quarterback, but I don't think that we're there quite yet. Andrew, do you believe Ryan Day when he says that this is neck and neck still? No. Um, I think um, I think that's a little coach speak. I think I, – I believe him when he says we've still got to make a decision. It's still up in the air. I, I think that it can still be undecided while also not being neck and neck, if that makes sense. Like, I don't think that it's, it's a coin flip either way. I mean, everything that I've seen at practice, which has been what, two and a half hours, um, everything that I've seen there, everything that I've read, everything that I've talked to you guys about and everything that I've heard from fans or whoever is that this is a, this is a race that Kyle McCord is winning like present present tense winning. Like this is something where he just looks better. So, I mean, I think you feel good about where comma court is at, or you have to feel good about where comma court is at. And I just don't think Ryan day wants to say that yet. I think he wants to keep comma court motivated just so he kind of, you know, Hey, like don't let up. You've got a kid nipping at your heels. And I think he also wants to keep Devin Brown engaged Hey, you've still got a shot at this. We want, and he kind of wants him to push Kyle McCord. Like coaches kind of play that game a lot, and I think that that's kind of what's going on. So, I guess it's. I mean, it's. I think I still think it's theoretically possible that Kyle McCord doesn't win the job, but uh, I just think he's going to at this point. At this stage, and this is a topic that we've broached in the past. I'm going to bring it up here because if it really is this close, should year two, should next season be any consideration in what you choose? For this season, if they really are neck and neck, why doesn't the tie go to Devin Brown since he could, in theory, grow more and make the room more secure in 2024? 
because now you're obviously entering a situation where if you pick Kyle McCord, now there's uncertainty for Devin Brown. If you pick Devin Brown, there's certainty for 2024 for Devin Brown. No, I, you, you, you play for the now, like you don't, I mean, you play for the now, you don't worry about the future because I mean, especially in this area of college football with the transfer portal, like look at Ohio state's depth chart. It's kind of one of those things where it's like, look to your left and look to your right. One of these guys is not going to be here in a semester and a half. Like one of these guys will be gone and that's just the way that this is going to work. And that's the way that this is going to work for a while. I think where you're going to have a lot of, you have to recruit, if, especially for Ohio state, you have to recruit at a high level and kids are going to leave. Uh, that's just the matter of the fact of the matter. So I, I think you, you play, I mean, I, I think it would be a nice benefit if you could, you know, pick a quarterback that, Hey, look, this is setting us up for 2024 and potentially 2025. That's a good thing to have. But that is a secondary benefit. You, you have to play for 2023. You, you're playing for a national championship every single season. That's something you want. And again, I mean, I mean we're in a world where if a kid's going to be a backup and he's kind of blocked from playing, especially a quarterback, they're going to go. So I, I don't think you can kind of worry about the future because the future is going to handle itself eventually one way or the other. Ohio State doesn't have rebuilding years, and I think yeah. that – line of thinking goes for programs who have rebuilding years where you're trying to build up to something that you only get to capture maybe every two or maybe once every cycle of just raw every four-year cycle of recruiting classes and that's not how Ohio State operates they've got to be they've got to pick the guy who's going to put them in a position to win a national championship in 2023 and if that changes a year from now for 2024 then you approach that how you approach it so Ryan Day has not since he got here in 2017, gotten one of these wrong. You can argue about 2018, as we have, and the circumstances there, I think, would still always lead you to Haskins over Burrow, regardless of what those players did from that point on in their careers. Mostly Joe Burrow. Uh, He just was was just prevented from being able to, to have the battle he needed to have in the spring by injury, and then they gave him, out of respect, the indication that Haskins was ahead and Burrow made his decision to leave. That kind of puts Ryan Day in a rare place in Ohio State history because guys usually screw this up occasionally. (laughs) Coaches have definitely botched this in Ohio State history, as I think a lot of people listening to this podcast can remember. In the 2015 mess where they didn't know what they were doing between JT Barrett and, and Cardell Jones and... Things were just a mess after the way 2014 had gone, and it, it cost that team, I think, in the long run of, of what it could have been. It, it, it threw that, the whole vibe off. In 2011, you had a guy in uh, Joe Bowserman who was, I guess maybe was was he the safer choice that year? I, I don't know. He gets the nod to start the year, and then Braxton Miller takes over in the fourth game, but only after Ohio State loses at Miami. 2007, uh, Todd Beckman beats out a couple guys, Rob Schoenhoft and, and Antonio Hinton, to get the starting job, keeps it that year. And the, But then, again, the next year you have a choice between a an incumbent and the up-and-coming guy, and Beckman keeps the job to start the year, but Terrell Pryor eventually takes it only after Beckman loses 35-3 to at USC, and then it's Terrell Pryor's job for the next couple years. You had 2004, you know, uh, Justin Swick picked over uh, 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 Andrew's favorite player, Troy Smith. Uh, 
Smith takes over after his wick injury and wins like four of the last five games. And then is just a starter from then on in. Like they're definitely just even at a place like Ohio state that doesn't have rebuilding years. It's odd how often they have gotten the quarterback decision. I think kind of inarguably wrong. And I guess right now, Steven, what's your level of concern that they could just get this wrong? Day hasn't gotten it wrong, but he's also never been in this deep with two guys where it didn't feel like there was a perceptional leader because Dwayne became the perceptional leader the moment Joe Burrow broke his hand. And so Dwayne was the one who was available for the and started to be the QB two. And then the Michigan game happened. And then Joe Burrow transferred at the end of the spring because he hadn't won the job. Justin Fields is Justin Fields, and he's in a room with Gunnar Hoke and Chris Chuganoff. With all due respect to both of those quarterbacks, they are not starting for the Chicago Bears right now. C.J. Stroud had felt like the perceptional leader since Ohio State offered him a scholarship his senior year, and then he eventually committed and signed. This one is this one has been more neck and neck than Ohio state's had a quarterback battle in a while. And to your point, the last time it was really this neck and neck, it was the 2015 season. And we saw how that played out and it probably cost the team who should have been back to back national champions. And maybe the most talented roster they've had over the past 15 years, didn't win a national championship. Didn't even make the playoff because of that. So it's a different scenario, but also to the point of, I think the quarterback play will be fine. I think the decision makers will make the right choice. I don't think there's a wrong choice. I think there's a best choice. And that's where Ohio State lives now. While with the Beckman prior conversation, there might have been a wrong choice. With the Zwick Troy Smith conversation, I mean, in the moment, it didn't feel like a wrong choice. Justin Zwick was the five star quarterback, and Troy Smith was the other guy, but it ended up being the wrong choice. Everything about 2015 was wrong. 2018 wasn't wrong until Dwayne Haskins was already in the NFL. So I don't even I, – I understand the barbershop conversation around that, but Dwayne threw 50 touchdown passes in 2018 and Joe Burrow threw like 18. So it, initially it was completely right. It wasn't even a conversation. I think regardless of which one starts, the offense will be fine. But there's one guy – who I think maximizes it and the other guy doesn't. And I think that's the conversation Ryan Day is going to have to have going forward every other year when he's loading up a room the way he is trying to get a top 100 five-star kid in every cycle. Andrew, as you look at this, do you think there's a chance that we look back in December and say uh, they were they got this wrong in August and it's why we are going to Pasadena – or some other location instead of wherever the playoff semifinals are. I think that's, I mean, it's certainly possible for sure. I, the, the tricky part about the Ohio state schedule is that you're gonna, I'm trying to think of the way to phrase this. Like you're gonna have, I think it's nicely spaced out to where you're going to have kind of benchmarks and kind of milestones for it. Like, Week one, you know, we talked about this, I think, before with our quarterback debate. Like, week one, you play a Big Ten opponent. Like, it's not – you're not playing Penn State week one, but it is a Big Ten opponent. You're not opening against Youngstown State. You're not opening against a team like that. So, the tricky part about this quarterback competition is, like, unless it goes terribly – like, let – you know, McCord. Let's just say McCord. Kyle McCord. Like, you pick Kyle McCord. 
unless Kyle McCord or the Kyle McCord experience or however you want to phrase that, like unless that goes terribly wrong, you're not going to really have an idea that is that it is the wrong choice until you play Notre Dame on September 23rd. Because are you really going to like, like I said, unless it goes terribly wrong, like are you really going to look at Kyle McCord against Indiana Youngstown state or Western Kentucky and go, Hey, this was the wrong choice. Like it would have to be very bad for it to be very clear. It was a wrong choice. Now with that said, I think that there is a pivot to where you could get out of it in a nice way. Like, if you're not loving what you're seeing from Kyle McCord in the first couple of weeks, and then you go to Notre Dame and play a, a top 25, top 20, top however, whatever they're going to be. If you play a, a decent team with a defense that has a really good corner in Benjamin Morrison and, and has some nice pieces on it. I mean, like they're not as talented as some of the other defenses you're going to play this year, but they have some nice pieces. Like if you don't play well in that game or lose that game, that gives you a really nice out because the following week you're gonna you're gonna have a bye week and then you play Maryland then you get into the uh, the meat of your Big Ten schedule so that would kind of be worst case scenario but I think that there is there is that possibility that we look back at this and say that it's wrong and say that hey look they they made the wrong choice they shouldn't have started Kyle or they shouldn't start whoever but there is there are gonna be exit ramps on this schedule for that because you have a Big Ten game. And if Kyle McCord stinks against Indiana and you want to go to Devin Brown against Youngstown State, all right, be my guest. Do it. But you really, I don't think you're going to know anything until September 23rd. And if you don't play well that game or you lose that game or whatever it is, you're not feeling confident, you have a bye week and then you come home and play Maryland and you go on the road to Purdue before you play Penn State. So you get another ramp up period if you have to change quarterbacks there. So there, we could absolutely say it, but like I said, there are going to be ample opportunities. If you need to pull the shoot, you can do it. I think the schedule does, as, as you're pointing out, give whoever wins this job a great opportunity to build towards yep. what you're talking about. It's not so much that it gives Ohio State a chance to reset after Notre Dame. I think sure. more importantly, it gives the whoever wins the job the chance to build towards his best game against Notre Dame. It's going to be a tough you know, going on the road, historic place. Not an easy opponent. Like that's going to be a, a big game in that guy's career, a big day in that guy's life. Something that he's been uh, thinking about for a while. And uh, these first three games are going to be sort of critical for that. It's it's the opposite of twenty twenty one, where you're opening by having to go on the road at Minnesota and then come home and play Oregon, like back to back, like right off the start. That was a tough ask for C.J. Stroud, and it didn't didn't go great, not really because of his own fault. So I think that's the other thing here, too, is in the backdrop of this quarterback competition is how important it is that Ohio State's getting better everywhere else to not put – and Ryan Day was talking about this the other day – to not put their starting quarterback in that position early in his career to, to put too much of this on his shoulders. So with that being said, Andrew, who do you think the starting quarterback will be on September 2nd? Uh, Cord. And uh, to go, if I could add something real quick to what you just said, hypothetical world, Ohio State beats Indiana and they score 52 and then they beat Youngstown State and they score 70 and then they beat Western Kentucky and they score 63. Those are, I mean, I just listed the point totals. You're sitting there thinking, this is great. Um, 
we we're gonna have this pot like let's say that the, that scenario happens and the lowest point total that you get in the first three weeks is 52 you're not going into the Notre Dame game saying we feel great about Kyle McCord because Kyle McCord has proven it you're gonna say Kyle McCord still has to prove it no offense to Indiana Western Kentucky or Youngstown State against a real team so it's gonna be an uphill battle I think you know there are kind of a there is a buildup but it is an uphill battle for whoever starts a quarterback so I think Kyle McCord's going to win the job. I think he's going to have, I think he's going to have to prove some people wrong in the couple, or I guess maybe not prove some people wrong. I guess he's going to have to, maybe I guess you could say prove some people right in, in a couple of weeks, but it's going to take until the end of September, I think to feel good or frankly bad about that decision, however you choose it. So yeah, I think it's going to be McCord. I'm curious to see what he looks like against Indiana. I just think that, Again, you go out and you destroy Indiana. Yeah, you can feel better about Kyle McCord, but you're not going to know about Kyle McCord until you get into the meatier schedule, I think. So Kyle McCord is uh, going to be the starting quarterback for the Ohio State Buckeyes. Um, but then according to Andrew see. Gillis. What's that? According to Andrew, according according to Andrew Gillis. Gillis. Yeah, even like, Nathan according Mary, to Andrew not- Gillis. You just you said that as if we were reporting it. That that is according to us. I think Kyle McCord can use the first three games to prove a point, even if he still has to do it against a better team. I think this is 2018, offensively replaying itself all over again, especially if Kyle McCord wins the job. And I've been saying that for a little bit now. And as we get closer and closer into it, I'm, I'm gonna eventually write this after we talk with the people I need to talk to. But I think this is 2018, and Ohio State scored. 77 points with Dwayne Haskins as a starting quarterback in his debut against Oregon State. Lower level power five opponent, which is what Indiana is. And it was like, okay, this is going to be pretty good. Now let's see if it can be really good against good teams. But he spent two weeks dominating Oregon State and Rutgers. And then the TCU game happened and it was like, cool, this is really good. He's a really good quarterback. And then it was the Penn State game where it was like, okay, maybe he's a Heisman Trophy quarterback. And I think that's how 2023 can play out for Kyle McCord, where it's a road Big Ten game. And I, we all understand Indiana had that really good year in 2020, and now they've been back to normal since then. And so we expect Ohio State to go in there and blow the doors off. But I think Kyle McCord can do some things that make you think that is also going to work when they play good football teams. And then the Notre Dame game becomes – not a is he a good quarterback? Is he a Heisman Trophy level quarterback? And I think, but the, the I think he can prove his point the first three weeks the same way Dwayne Haskins spent the first two weeks before he played a real opponent proving his point. I think if I could jump in real quick, I think the funny thing I was looking that up when Stephen was talking uh, that 2018 Oregon State team went two and ten uh, with wins yeah. against Southern Utah and Colorado. And they allowed 45.7 points per game. Obviously, that 77 number didn't help, which was 129th out of 130 in college football. Yep. So I I think in hindsight. So they're I mean, Indiana. Yeah. Well, <laughs> they're Indiana. Indiana Indiana's better than that, though. Like Indiana, I think, is going to be better. 129th out of 130th in college football. 129th. Indiana. 129th. Indiana's not very good. I'm, I'm not saying I think you're going to find that out very quickly. 129th. Yeah. There's a difference between admitting they're not very good and saying they'll be the worst defense in college football. Yeah. <laughs> it might um, be. I mean, their best de- their best defensive player was a true freshman who's now at Oklahoma, who should have been at Ohio State. So they might flirt with worst defense in, in college football. 
Well, let's see if they're the worst in the Big Ten first. So are you marking down that also that Colin McCord will be the starting quarterback on opening day, Stephen? Yes. So am I. And I don't think that I, at any point in this process, have thought that wasn't going to be the case. I think basically since the end of last season, my presumption has always been that McCord wins out, that he would have enough of a foothold in this offense, that he has enough of the throwing talent that they need. I think the questions that were out there were as it relates to things like, is Devin Brown so much more athletic that they'll run the ball Mm -hmm. so much more with him that it would really change the offense? And I, A, just don't think that is Ryan Day's priority. And B, I still just don't see the separation that some people do. I think there is something there extra that, that Devin Brown probably has, but everything you've heard about people talking about this offense from the inside says that uh, both of these guys will run the ball. Like, And so you only need a guy who's going to run the ball as much as other defenses will let him to, the, to, to some extent. And I think it will be more of a factor this year but this isn't going to be a running quarterback. This is going to be who can propel this offense and all of its weapons down the field most efficiently and most consistently. And from what we saw in the spring and only this very little bit here to start the preseason camp, I still think that looks like Kyle McCord. What it means going beyond is – I think it's up in the air, and I, I think I agree with you guys that Ohio State can't really worry about that right now. It, it is what it is, and it would be great if Devin Brown can also, like, the torch just gets passed to him at some point, and he takes off and is the next starting quarterback after Kyle McCord, if indeed McCord wins the job and keeps it. But you're also in a situation where just because McCord wins the job this year doesn't necessarily mean for sure that he leaves after this year, even though he's a third-year guy. And that has been a kind of the rite of passage here at Ohio State for the past few years. So that is a topic, I think, for another day. I think the topic, the only one that really matters as it relates to Ohio State in its quarterback room right now is whichever of these guys wins, are you keeping that standard? Are they, are they playing efficiently enough, cleanly enough, making the right decisions before you even start getting too wrapped up in things like arm strength and all that stuff, which I think both these guys have, but do they, do they allow this offense to flourish? Because the weapons that Ohio state's going to be putting on the field at across the board are maybe unequaled in college football this year. And certainly few teams that can, that can rise to the whole, the whole level. If you're taking quarterback and setting it aside and just talking about who they have to work with from Trevion Henderson to all these receivers to Cade Stover, like that's a, that's a dream for a lot of quarterbacks. So in unanimous decree from the Buckeye talk crew, we expect Kyle McCord to be named the starting quarterback at some point this preseason camp. I also don't think this goes until the final week or whatever. I think at some point Ryan day, it's all in his it's only eye of the beholder, right? He mm-hmm. keeps saying someone has to separate, but when he decides someone has separated, then they've separated. Whether there's not yeah. a, there's not an official measurement out there for for that to happen, and I would expect us to know roughly the same timeline we always have as to who the starting quarterback is going to be on opening day. I would assume in the next fifteen days we know who the starting quarterback is. 
Uh, one thing we didn't bring up with the wide receivers, I'll just bring it up now. It doesn't need to be a long conversation. Is we just said the receivers who were going to start. We didn't say where they were going to start. And Marvin Harrison was in the slot again on Thursday at times. And um, this is just an extra side throw out there. I think Marvin Harrison's first snap of the 2023 season is going to be in the slot. And Julian and Emeka will be on the outside. Even if they motion him in, because they did it against Georgia, they motioned him into the slot. So I'm throwing that little extra variable into there as well. But uh, from a quarterback standpoint, I think we're all on the same page with that one. And I think right now this seems to be playing out on the same timeline that they played out the last few times Ryan they had to pick a starting quarterback. And that's midway through August after that second time they have a, a Saturday scrimmage. We have another Market Down Monday coming up, I believe, next week, where we're going to talk a lot about statistical predictions. We've already done some of those. We like to do kind of a big bundle catch-all of some of the major statistical predictions for the team, and I believe that's what we're going to hit you with a week from today. But for now, I'm Nathan Baird, along with Stephen Means and Andrew Gillis, and that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>